0: Have you subscribed to the OTB Football Podcast?
1: Probably for a little over a year. It's been my intention and my desire to play play for Ireland.
0: Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB Sports app.
2: You ain't shit! I wish I was 50 years younger and I'd kick your ass.
0: (laughs) This is Off The Ball Saturday on News Talk. John looking with you through to five. You can text us 53106. We're streaming the conversation as well. Listen on News Talk. Also watch us on the Off The Ball digital and social channels. We're Periscope on Twitter, at Off The Ball, YouTube, Facebook, and on the OTB Sports app. And we're going to be talking all things boxing over the next hour in the studio with the Olympian Emma Brennan and the Irish Sun boxing correspondent Kevin Byrne. And also on the line, the former world amateur silver medalist and current pro fighter Jason Quigley. Jason, we're going to start with you. Jason, how's the form?
2: All good, lads. All good. Thanks for having me on
0: good to see you uh, Jason and you're preparing for a fight at the National Stadium in April against Kim Paulson. so your first fight in Ireland as a pro
2: yeah really excited for this one it's um, as you said you know it's my it's my first fight back in Ireland and the first fight back in the stadium in about I think nearly over 10 years so it's uh, it's exciting and really looking forward to it to be
0: sure now so tell us about the journey uh in since obviously you, you lost to Demetrius Andrade, you've been working with Andy Lee. So what's been happening in terms of you in the last, say, eighteen months getting into a position where you're looking forward to this pro fight?
2: I suppose there was a, there was a lot going on, to be honest. Um after the Andrade fight, there was uh there was a lot of downtime to to have and um to recover from my injury. Um broke my jaw in that fight, so I had uh, had a bit of time out to recover. I suppose it wasn't the, the best time to, to break the jaw. It was just coming up to Christmas and didn't really enjoy the Christmas dinner or anything like that too much. But, you know, that's that's boxing, that's the sport that we're in and it can be uh it can be rough at times. I suppose, you know, moving into the new year after my surgery and after I got the all clear on the jo- on the jaw that it was I was good to go again. Um there was a lot of there was a lot of thinking that had to be done. You know, had to surround myself with the right people and the people that, that cared for me most and was giving me the right advice for the right reasons. And I took it all on board and came around to the decision that we're uh, we're back in the ring. I kind of knew for a good couple of months that definitely would be coming back into the ring again. To be honest, you know, after the last fight, it was really down the dumps and did not go the way that I thought or ever expected it to go that way. um. So I had to take a lot of time out to to adjust to that, to, to come to the realization of of what happened and how to move forward in, in the best direction. And, yeah, you know, felt down the dumps and sorry for myself and things like that, but, you know, you got to give yourself a kick in the ass sometimes. you got to get up on your feet again and uh, you got to – you got to get back into the ring for the for the right reasons, and as I says, you know, I surrounded myself with the right people—the people that cared for me and the people that were giving me the advice for the right reasons. And most importantly, you know, the the answers were all within. In a way, it was just a matter of uh, being able to separate yourself and and to find and to search for those answers. And uh, now we're we're back. Fall training, always in the gym. and a way, always staying in shape. But we're back now. Um, deep into camp for this fight in April 1st things are going very very well very excited and uh, really looking forward to getting back into that ring again
0: great great stuff Jason and look forward to chatting about it over the next hour how are you uh, Emmett and Kevin good
1: form. oh good here yeah thanks John thanks for having us on
0: and uh, you're now moving from the amateur to the pro ranks so over the last while Emmett yeah so I'm just
3: looking to make the transition and similar to Jason I was injured last January um and had to sit with myself as well, find out, is this what I want to do? Because professional boxing, it's, it's not an easy way of making a living. Um, and similar to Jason, had chats with the family,
0: chats with people that are close to me and decided that that is the route that I want to go down. So you were talking very honestly about getting credit union loans to go to, to, to fight at the Olympics and that kind of thing. How has the process been in terms of you know getting into the pro game, you're trying to get a promoter, you're trying to maybe have a base as well that might not be in Ireland? Yeah, so originally
3: the base was supposed to be in New York. Um, a great idea of moving over there. that hasn't been an Irish up really boxing out of New York in probably 10, 15 years. And just when I got there, the reality of it didn't really... Add up to my expectations in my mind. So um, I had to go back to the drawing board, come back to Ireland, think about what direction I wanted to go. And i seen that boxing is thriving over in London. You're talking about, like for me especially, sparring from middleweight up to low heavyweight, you can get world-class sparring um, on your doorstep every day of the week. So the plan is to move to London now, relocate there in the next month or two and fight over London. And become a pro fighter becoming a pro for you. So what is the day-to-day for you at the moment? The day I'm training in my amateur club at the moment, so I'm still training full-time. I'm doing a little bit of walk in the gym at the moment as well, but
0: um, my sole focus at the moment is getting the body ready for my professional debut. And how has the body even changed from, say, the amateur days? You came over the injury. Do you have to have a different body as a pro? Um, sense. for me you have so much more
3: flexibility because when you're in the Irish team you're going off their schedule you're up in the high performance unit they're training four to five days a week they have their schedule set out for the week and you basically have to go with that um, what I found as a professional well I haven't gone pro yet but making the transition into professional it's a lot more flexible and it's a lot more individualised to, to my schedule so I can train where I want really when I want
0: Kevin, so Irish boxing at the moment, there's good news with the likes of uh, Emmett going into the pro ranks and with Jason having this fight. And then obviously you had the bit of the the news that was not so good about the amateurs not being able to go to the Worlds now because the Irish uh, Amateur Boxing Association pulled them all out. Why do they do that?
1: I think it comes down to two factors, really. um, War in Russia and the Olympics. So, like, the war in Russia angle, obviously a lot of sports of, you know, there's no Russian or Belarusian uh, sports people taking part but the IBA has come under Russian control in recent years. The current uh, president Azumar Umar Kremlev, a kind of Moscow mogul who's risen to power in the last couple of years, cleared the debts of the IBA, made relations all over the world, spent a lot of money. Uh, that, that's Gazprom money. They've been turfed out of Champions League football, as we've seen in recent years. Russia have effectively made a play for uh, control of amateur boxing in the last couple of years and have, have successfully done so they they're facing a bit of a revolution from the from the western countries at the minute i think it's probably the countries that to hazard a guess value the olympic angle of it the most because uh the countries that have effectively that, that are going to boycott the upcoming world championships are the usa britain uh, canada ireland and a bunch of kind of countries that are closer geographically to ukraine and to russia like this just talk to Scandinavian countries uh, Baltic countries are going to join this boycott kind of formed a common cause alliance um and the olympics means more to means a lot to western countries we we funded our boxers based on like Emmett wouldn't would see that the uh, money that's gone into the high performance unit over the years we we based our funding model to catch up with like the traditional soviet powers the cuban powers that that effectively had professional amateur boxers through the the 60s, 70s, 80s and they hoovered up the medals you know accordingly. The Western world has basically spent money to catch up with those, based our funding models on Olympic achievement and uh, we value the Olympics quite quite highly. Um, the IBA have made a bet effectively, boxing is too important for the Olympic Chiefs to throw it out and we will we will uphold our power and strengthen it around the world. So like the IBA just held a, a tournament in Marrakesh uh, the president is just back from summits in Dubai. Uh, time spent in Cameroon, going to Cuba. He's meeting presidents. He's meeting prime ministers. They're putting money into spent into training centres. They're investing in places that don't normally get invested in, and they're throwing plenty of kind of plenty of cash around and plenty of uh, support around the boxing around the world. And their mission is to grow boxing around the world, so they say. And the evidence. If you threw it to a vote around the world of do you want Kremlev and do you want the current association the way it is? it's a resounding yes it's seventy five percent or whatever two thirds at least for the current regime, so like the West. how did, do the
0: i o c uh, you know gel or not with these people
1: well not at all like they there's it's
0: a, it's, it's not going to be in Los Angeles at the moment boxing
1: no, it's off the program in Los Angeles, and the i o c are going to run it themselves at paris twenty twenty four just as they did when Emma took part. In uh, Tokyo 2020, when Kelly Harrington obviously won her gold medal aid and Walsh won his uh, won his bronze, and that's the way it's going to be going forward. It's not on the program for Los Angeles 2024. It's a terrible shame because boxing made its debut, you know, 120 years ago uh, as a as an Olympic sport. But I think it was on the original program back in ancient Greece, you know. And uh, as it stands, it's not it's not going to take place. Uh, look. There's opposition to the move as well. That the Irish decision to boycott a lot of people in Ireland, a lot of people in the country. Yeah, the impact affected. on the
0: likes of uh, Amy Broadhurst, uh, Lisa rourke medal yeah. winners Kelly Harrington. Uh, what's the impact on them? Well, just from a day the, to
1: the, day. the call here is keep keep politics out of sport. Don't don't let decisions by politicians or, or administrators affect boxers. Fighters want to fight, and there's massive prizes going at these world championships. I think there's 2.6 million dollars as prize pot at the women's world championships. And then in May at the Men's World Championships, there's five and a half million dollars up for grabs, so 200 grand for a, for a male gold medalist. Boxers want to take part in this. and They don't necessarily want to be, uh, not, I can't speak for all of them, but a lot of them that I've kind of heard from don't necessarily want to take part in a, a political boycott. But then again, the bigger picture is, well, don't you want to be part of the Olympic Games? Well, yes, I do. Well, you know, if you support the thing that's going on right now, well, then you're effectively working against it the sports olympic future so it's a difficult one to to square you know people want short term aren't thinking long term but then careers are short aren't they like you've got five six years at it like and
3: especially amateur level there's not a lot of opportunities bar um funding and your bit of sponsorship there's not a lot of opportunities to make great money as an amateur boxer so you can see why the boxers want to fight in the world championships because the prize money but as kevin said there is a bigger picture of this do you want to be an Olympian do you want to be an Olympic champion and if you go around any amateur club in Ireland that's what most kids would be saying they want to be Olympians they want to be Olympic champions
1: and we've, we've Jason on the line obviously like yeah. he got, he's the first Irish man ever to get to a World Championships final had it been 10 years on he'd be fighting for 200 grand in that final
0: what do you think of it Jason this whole move?
2: I think I it, try a wee bit harder. Back the, and <laughs> <laughs> there's three hundred grand. <laughs> um, yeah. Look, I can I can totally get where the boxers are coming from. Um, the only thing with the boxers is, like, you know, you can tell them to to miss the championships and to boycott this, but there's still no real guarantee that the Olympics is going to go ahead as well, and they can you know compete at the Olympic games. So. You know, as Kevin says they're like, boxers, they just want to get into the ring. They just want to fight. Um, you know, for me, whenever I was making that transition from uh, amateur to professional, it was the most frustrating time that I've ever gone through in my boxing career because I just wasn't in the ring. I wasn't competing. I wasn't active. And, you know, you're in the gym training away, but you didn't have nothing to really train for. So... Once again, it's the boxers that are losing out. Once again, it's the boxers that are that are getting the brunt of this, and it's just very unfortunate for the sport because everybody knows how popular boxing is professionally and in the amateur game and in the Olympics. So it's um it's just a very sad time, I suppose, for uh, amateur boxing. Um, especially Ireland, like it's been our most successful sport in the uh, Olympic Games. You know, we have the amount of talent that's come through this country in the Olympic Games. And, you know, Emma's one of them, you know, all the medalists, like it's absolutely fantastic. And it's just unfortunate now that we're, um, you know, there could be a chance that this mightn't be a continued event in the Olympic Games?
1: I kind of, John, as well, I kind of understand some of the anger at the IOC as well from boxing people in that, um, you know, they've tried to make the sport more inclusive and they're trying to grow the sport. But If you look at the figures from, say, Beijing 2008, the first major success of Ireland's high-performance unit, 283 boxers added all male uh, 11 weights, a lot of opportunities to w- qualify, a lot of opportunities to win. And yet, like we still know it was extremely difficult to qualify. Most of the Irish guys got through I think at the final qualifier, Paddy Barnes went through first, but like you, Kenneth Egan, you know, went through late. Uh, John DeJoyce, Sutherland, you know, went through late. 2012, they opened up to women and it's from de- down to 250 men, 36 women, still quite unequal. Um, but you look at uh, the 2024 Olympics now, you're down to seven weights for men, six for females. They've counted, they're going half and half. So instead of adding women to the programme, they've taken away males. So it's twice as hard to qualify as it was in 2008. So is it any wonder then that uh, there's a lot of frustration? It's difficult to get your boxers to the Olympics and it's even more difficult to win them. So it's like Emma was lucky enough to get to the Olympics in his career or you know worked hard enough and got there, managed to managed to do it. Jason is probably, by all accounts, I'd say Ireland's most successful middleweight of all time in terms of being European champion and world championships silver medalist and just w- wasn't able to get to the Olympic Games and I'm sure would have absolutely loved to have done so. It's twice as hard now to qualify. Um so IBA have effectively said, right, we'll we'll run it ourselves, and if the Olympics don't want to have anything to do with us, we'll do that. But I think there's a bigger play as well, like so like I said at the start, there's two factors here: there's the war and there's the Olympics, and you yeah. Know,
0: like when you're in Dublin Docklands Club, Bemish, uh your club, uh, you know, you're you're dealing with like teenagers. You were one yourself. Is the Olympics the the key thing in your head, even from the moment you begin, or is it more to have a purpose? What's the the general motivation when you're younger?
3: Yeah, like the
0: a boxing club obviously serves
3: a few purposes. For me, it was always to be an Olympian. That's why I stayed at amateur up until 30 years old because I was just driven to be an Olympian. I'm looking at the boxing club now and it's slightly changing where you do have still a few boxers. That the Olympic is their main goal, but a lot of them now, they want to earn money. With at, the pro game? Yeah, with the pro game. A lot of them are looking at the pro game from very, very early on. Social media might have something to do with that because they're looking at their favourite boxes, spending money, earning money, living a great lifestyle, whereas we didn't have, have that 10, 20 years ago. But definitely... There is a lot still want to be an Olympian, but there's whereas like you're talking ten, twenty years ago, the main thing for an Irish boxer was being an Olympian. That would have been probably ninety percent of the boxers Now I'd say that's probably fifty-fifty.
0: You're not regretting that you, you made the decision too late, then? No, look, definitely no regrets. You've got I the made. Olympic to two, and you yeah. I've look, I've made. It. I've
3: I've had great stories from it, um, and it's part of my journey. Obviously. I would have liked him to be there a lot earlier, but look, um everyone's time is just different and my time was obviously a lot later in life. Yeah. But look, I've maybe I didn't get there in twenty sixteen to twenty twelve because I wasn't I wasn't mature enough. I wasn't living the lifestyle. I wasn't I can remember Jason from ten years all the way up. He was an athlete from ten years all the way up to elite level. I wasn't trained the way he was. It took me Later on in life, to realise that
0: this is what you have to do to um to complete your your goals and your ambitions. So, with the likes of Eric Donovan, Dennis Hogan having success in their thirties, that's your hope that you know it's not too late. Yeah, it's not too late. Like you look at like lifestyle choices, you can
3: you can forge your career, especially right now. this with science and stuff like that, there's so much different things and new things you can do but living a healthy lifestyle um, committing yourself to the process committing yourself to the game not being stupid and that talking about it earlier on being away from the high performance doing things to my schedule not to the high performance schedule that lad years onto my boxing career you look at Dennis and Eric Like Dennis is 37 38 he's going to fight on the undercard of Katie Taylor show it looks like on May 20th he's IBO world
0: champion um, and he's done that like a little bit later in his career So th- in terms of the, the management because you're not in the high performance unit now are you managing yourself? Uh, who's managing? No, so um, again because you're
3: older you have a wise head on your shoulders I wasn't prepared to just just take the first manager that came to me I went and talked to as many people as possible I've been talking to a manager in London now and I'm hoping to get that signed in the next two weeks
0: where is Katie Taylor's fight going to be, Kevin? In the three arena, May 20th?
1: Definitely. It has to be the three arena, I think, at this stage. Uh, I think a lot of the talk about... We are talking, myself and Emma, just before coming on, we think a lot of the discussion around Crow Park for May 20th at this stage is a smokescreen. She's been promised a homecoming, a Dublin fight, in her next event, and it looks like that's going to be at the three arena. I'm surprised they haven't announced the venue yet. But all this talk about Conor McGregor and the Crow Park angle is keeping an interest in the event, and you're months out from the event. They haven't got the storyline set yet. It is, it's going to ride itself. Uh, Taylor against Serrano, too. One of the fights of the year last year, male or female. So it's going to write itself. But it's keeping interest in the fight, keeping a bit of headlines, I think.
0: There'd be no problem selling 9,000, 10,000. Would you wouldn't have thought so.
1: Well, what is
0: the realistic sale, though? For is, is there a legitimate worry from the promoter about Croke Park that it might be difficult to shift 60,000, 70,000 tickets for that?
1: I think they need to the break even. Is it fifty or 60? I think they need to the break even. They need to sell it off a lot to break even. And then I think on May the 20th, as, as the chosen date set down by the broadcasters, same day as the Hinding Cup final. Like, good luck in Dublin, you know, getting a hotel. And a lot of the punters are at the Hinding Cup final, people with a bit of money, people with their kids, young Katie Taylor fans, you want them to come. You want them to come to Crow Park and experience maybe their first boxing event, you know, something different. They're, I'm sure Katie Taylor's got fans all over the country and across the UK you want people to be able to travel into the capital. You want, you know, from from Cork and Kerry and Donegal and London and Manchester and come, and it doesn't appear that t- Dublin doesn't have that capacity, does it, John? I don't think so. Like uh, so, I think May the three arena, they'll be doing well. Uh, I'm surprised the date wasn't changeable, but it doesn't appear to be so from the zone, the the broadcasters. So they'll take what they have, and and at least then Eddie Hearn will be able to say, "I delivered the comeback. You're fighting in Ireland in your next fight," and if. If it's an explosive atmosphere and a brilliant fight, then it'll increase the interest and maybe going for Crow Park later in the year. But if it's not a good fight, then they've maybe, you know, harmed the mystique of the Katie Taylor comeback. It's done. You know, people mightn't be as keen to buy tickets in, in September. But I'd imagine Taylor against Taylor against Serrano at any time is going to be a great fight. It's going to deliver action, it's going to deliver entertainment. So Taylor's next fight, if uh, she's willing to fight in Crow Park later in the year, has a good chance then of doing well. Jason, Sorry, I, was on, I was on mute there, lads. <laughs> um, <laughs> um,
2: yeah, so uh, my my current schedule now is I'm up. For, we're full time training now in camp with uh, with Andy Lee. So um, we'll be training twice a day, um, four or five days a week, and then one one day on a one session on a Wednesday, one day on a, one session on a Saturday, and then we have Sunday off. So you know. We're in, the, we're in the middle of it. We're in the thick of the training camp now. Everything was going great. We had a good three, four-week camp done already. We have six weeks to go now. Have a couple of days back home in Donegal just to refresh and uh, back in the camp now on Monday again and uh, ready for the last six weeks now, moving into the fight for April 1st. What's Is it mainly sparring, is it, or what What kind of
0: uh, training is it?
2: Yeah, so everything, you know, once you get back into camp, it's just picking up on little techniques any little bad habits that you've picked up outside the camp you know just tweaking little things uh just getting the body back into just getting the body back used to it the muscles everything you know so we're we're doing a lot of a lot of met work technical work a lot of bag work a lot of a lot of dog work as well you know uh just getting back into camp as well you know really just testing the body and, and pushing the body uh, beyond its limits as well. Um, to have that that hard mental state moving into the last six weeks of the camp as well, so you know there's a lot of work going on, but a body sparring going on at the minute, and I will be picking up the the full sparring now coming in uh, the the next couple of weeks.
0: Andy had a disappointment in his career before he won the uh, WBO middleweight bout there a few years ago. Has he spoke too much about the Demetrius Andrade fight, or like what went wrong, or you know it was just one of those things? Is there is there much I suppose mental talk just as much as the physical work?
2: Yeah, there's, you know, um like with that fight, it just it never really got going for me. Um like the first minute, first minute and a half felt great, you know, was keeping my distance well, was starting to land my jab, was just found everything starting to starting to come together in that fight. Um in the first first minute, two minutes of the of the first round. And then you know, he landed that, uh, the first shot, the first knockdown, you know, he broke my jaw because I could just, didn't actually know my jaw was broke, but I could taste blood. I thought my teeth or something were knocked out. But um, yeah, it was the first shot, you know, that, that that broke my jaw. And it was just so hard to come to terms with what was going on in my mouth. Uh, was it my teeth that was knocked out? Is something else going on? And there was an actual, uh, a thick slice in my gum that clumps of blood were coming out of. You know, so it, it made it very difficult to breathe as well. So I was trying to figure all this out, at the same time trying not to get hit again. <laughs> um, so it was just difficult. It was, look, it was one of those things boxing happened, and there isn't really much you can look back and take away from it, um, because that shot just landed. It could have been a completely different story if that shot hadn't have landed. But, you know, me and Andy, we've had, uh, we've had a good talk about things. Um, but we're just really picking off, uh, taking off now where we left off. Uh, before that Andrade fight, you know, in training camp, everything we've been working on, everything we've been working towards. So, uh, yeah, I'm excited now to to put all that on show on the, the National Stadium in April 1st.
0: What do you know about your opponent,
2: Kim Paulson? Um he's uh he's got a great record. Do you know what I mean? Anybody that is thirty ones in a inside a professional ring, you know, has earned them. And he boxed for Denmark. I think he actually boxed. Uh, he says he boxed in the national stadium before. He boxed uh, Denmark versus Ireland or Denmark versus Northern Ireland. So um he represented his country as an amateur. He's had plenty of fights as a professional. Um but any fight that I get into, I try not it's not that I try not, I just don't really concentrate too much on my opponent. Um obviously at the start, you know, if there's any video, if there's anything available on him, I take a look at it, uh, suss so him out, see his kind of styles, just kind of visualize what is to be expected um and what is gonna be in front of me on the night. So once I kind of visualize that and get it in my mind, anytime that I'm shadow boxing or anytime I'm working on a technique for the fight, you can kind of visualize your opponent, what he's going to do, what kind of stance, what kind of shape, what kind of size is. Um. But once I kind of tick those boxes, then it's just uh, it's concentrating on myself and making sure that I show up. A hundred and ten percent on the night. So, it's interesting
0: asking you yourself and uh, Emma. This uh, Jason uh, Sonny Bill Williams was on with me about a year ago, uh, just talking about his career in rugby and rugby league and rugby union, won the World Cup. And he said boxing was the hardest thing he ever did. He still he's he's loving the boxing now. He's he's getting involved in boxing. Amazing athlete, amazing career as a sports person. Mm-hmm. Would you get scared when you're in the ring at all, Jason? Would I what? Get scared? Uh,
2: a lot of people have asked me this, you know, and I think it's just something that you always be a little bit nervous and but anxious or you know there's always a wee bit of something going on in the body and you need that before a fight but I, I can honestly say like i've never i've never got scared um i think it's you know when you're doing it since you're 10 11 years of age the the fear if if it's in you if the fear is in you you know i can't see you going on and having the career that the length of career that I've had, if that fear element or if you're scared of getting into the ring, I can't see it being a progression for you. So for me, anyway, um, maybe Emmett might have experienced different everybody, <laughs> every human being is different. We all have different experiences and made some people might have sense of fear certain stages of their life and be able to overcome it. But um for me, I've never I've never been um I've never been as scared, no, thank God. But uh, definitely nervous and, you know, get those jitters before a fight.
0: What are your emotions like when you go into the ring, Emmett? I'd be just fully focused.
3: But I remember as a kid, I would have been afraid. Yeah, like maybe up to 14 years of age, I would have been afraid. and um, My experience, age, that sort of leaves you. And then as well, I'm never going to go into a ring now where I'm not fully prepared. Whereas back then, I might have. But now similar to Jason we're training full time we're putting everything into this sport so we know when we get in the ring we are fully prepared but slight nerves but for me it changes just being focused on the task focused on the game plan focused on what's ahead of me I wouldn't say it's fair of the person that's in front of me Um you don't want to lose. That's one thing you don't want to do. Maybe there's a bit of anxiousness and nervousness about losing, but um, I would never be afraid of the man that's in front
0: of me. I'm just fully focused on the job ahead. What's the technique then work like? are you? What is the strong part of your game in terms of is it a jab or is it a uppercut or whatever? What, what is your defence? What is the strong part? What are you looking to improve as you go into your, into your pro career? I'd say for me,
3: you know, my main strength is the mental side of the game. Right. Um, that's probably what's got got me to where I am. I'm I'm very capable of upsetting opponents. I'm very durable. I come forward. I can. I'm defensively very, very good. I don't give away a lot of shots. And because I'm a pressure fighter, if your defense is good, there's always going to be opportunities to counterattack. Even though from the outside it looks like I'm just going forward, putting pressure on, putting pressure on. Someone that doesn't know boxing would be just saying I'm a pressure fight, fighter. But what I'm really doing is I'm seeing what my opponent is throwing. Now I know next time he throws that, did his hand go back
0: low? or What was his defence like? And really, I'm a counter-attacker going forward. What about your own technique, Jason? How's that evolving and what are your hopes for strengthening your own game as a boxer uh, going forward?
2: yeah i think um you go through phases um you know whenever i went into the national team and the computer scoring system it was like like everybody knows the the sport fencing like it was very much like fencing whenever the computer scoring was in like it was never about hitting your opponent hard or it was never about trying to get a knockout or anything like that it was you know just touching your opponent and getting out of there like everything was just tip tapping um and then funny enough you know that was the period that i was really molded in the in the high performance setup with billy and Zor and john cleary and everyone in there but when we got to the stage then where i was actually competing at the european elites and the world elites it was the the 10 9 10 8 uh, scoring system and that's when i had a lot of my success i had success of course as well in and uh, the computer scoring but you know then I turned professional and I was over in LA and I kind of got this Mexican style about me where you had the hands up and you were just throwing punches, you were just letting them fly, going for the knockout all the time. I and I remember like um, I remember sparring over there and I remember dropping a fella and I was like, "Holy shit!" Like, <laughs> like I never, I never really sat down on my punches before. I never really tried to drop anybody before. But once I went over there, um, it was like. It was just a different, a different style and a different mentality as well. And then obviously went to the angle gym over in Sheffield in the UK, and it was a real prince in the same, you know, up on your toes, moving around, nice and flash and brash. It was like kind of one extreme to the next. Whereas now I think you know, with myself and Andy, we have found that nice balance where me myself personally, I think you know, I'm a my strong point is up on my toes, is moving, is my flexibility, is, you know, being nice and elusive. But also in the professional game, you need to hurt, you need to earn your respect, you need to you need to be able to look in your opponent's eyes and, and, and let him know that you're there and you mean business and not let anybody walk over the top of you. You know, there's that mental battle all the time going on in a professional fight. Like if you just get in there and let a boy do what he wants, then could be party over very early on whereas you need to stamp your authority and that's where i think i have that um i have that nice balance now um what i'm working on is being up on my feet nice and elusive letting my shots go put my punches together but at the same time being spiteful being ruthless and you know if that opportunity comes that you can get them out of there you rip them out like you know and that's that that's the name of the game
0: Kevin Byrne, uh, Jason Quigley, and Emma Brennan are on the panel here talking about Irish boxing. Where is the state of the game in terms of the local clubs here, Kevin, at the moment, and the opportunities for young people and the opportunities for the boxers of the future to have a, a progression and a purpose going forward? Is it a healthy state?
1: Um, I think it's overall quite a healthy state. You, you can't stop talent; it keeps coming through. And there's been boxing's had an awful lot of setbacks over the years. You know, it's had professional takeover with the MTK stuff. It's had in, in the amateurs. It's had a the takeover of IBA and you know, all the controversies that have come from those, like similar things, where cash was thrown at uh, a takeover in the amateurs, cash was thrown at a takeover in the professionals, and it's led to diversions and it's led to led to negative negative aspects for boxing. But at the same time, you can't stop the progress of the young boxers coming through. Like uh, and. A couple of years ago, I would have been looking at the Irish high-performance team and thinking, "How many more top boxers can they lose? They're all going professional." And yes, every every year, like Emmett in Dublin Docklands, you've got a European champion there, and Ava Henry as well. And like every club, every every county in Ireland has almost something unique going on at the minute. Like you could name one, and I'd throw something at you, John. Like it's, like my own county of Wicklow, they've got the greatest female boxer in history, probably. Uh, but we've known about Katie Taylor for years. But then there's Dana Morehouse, multiple European champion at Underage, Irish senior champion now three years in a row. Then there's a new new blood as well, Tygo Donnell coming through, European champion. And nearly every county in Ireland has that kind of... And it's probably because of, you know, of the work of the club coaches around the country and the, the passion and the desire of the young Irish boxers coming through. So there's always setbacks. Like a lot of the clubs around Ireland are underfunded. A lot of clubs in recent years have lost their premises. I was only talking last night to the trainer of Claim Boxing Club selling all the contents of the club because he he cannot get a place to set up he's having to spend a thousand euros a month effectively a proper mortgage on a commercial pre- on a commercial premises in order to house the club he can't do it anymore and a lot of clubs like that are around around the country and yeah, but aren't there like where they don't have a premises they don't own one they're renting a kind of a shed in an industrial estate in the on the outskirts of their town and they can't do it for much longer so like they need support and and like one negative aspect of that is be all those talented kids in Clane now a lot of them could join other clubs but they could drop off they could fall somewhere else Ireland did lose a lot of talented boxers through Covid like I'd ask Jason and uh, Emmett each of them what would you have done if you couldn't box competitively between the ages of say 12 and 15 or 14
3: yeah you'd be let's be real you'd be out of the sport you'd either be lost to Gaelic soccer hurling, wherever it is or else you would just go down a different uh, route altogether where you have nothing nothing to do. Like the the boxing club obviously the main purpose is to create good boxes but it's also it's a space for kids to come and kids to grow. The social aspect. Like I look at kids coming into the boxing club maybe two, three years ago with a shy little bit of a um reeling in the shell and I'm looking at them now, I see this in the boxing club all the time. They're chatting with their kids, they're laughing, they're running, they're down a few kilos so they what a boxing club offers to a community is far more than just creating champions. It creates good people, it installs discipline into, into them, routine, and um, like you look at most boxers that make it to like elite level and stay in a boxing club the whole life, they're very
0: employable people because they learn life skills in the boxing club and also stay away from negative supports. You've spoken before about you know maybe hitting the the gargle a bit. At times. Yeah, I
3: I don't haven't drank in ten months. Um went off to New York sort of um it was post Olympics and we all heard about the post Olympic slump where athletes um just get a little bit lost. There's a lot of like depression. For me I wasn't depressed, but it was just lost. I had no i had no focus and my goal was to be an Olympian. That was gone now. I I didn't know where I was going and unfortunately I put all the energy that I was putting into becoming an Olympian to drinking and partying and that's part of the reason why I stepped away from New York and came home. Was there support network there for you to stop? No. Um I don't want to throw anyone under the bus but like don't. You, you know <laughs> we were told like before the Olympics, yeah there'll be support networks, um, mental health post Olympics is is there, there's gonna be wherever to help you but once the Olympics was over, no there, there was nothing.
0: Lonely place, no.
3: It was a lonely place. For oh, you. sorry. It was a, yeah. It was a, for me. It was a lonely place. Um again, I have a great family, great friends around me. But um, you're in your own head for most of the day. And yeah, I did. I did find. I found the hard. I listened to Greg O'Shea on. He was on the late late. I think it was a few weeks ago, and he was talking about. Oh, he went into. a downward spiral where he ended up seriously depressed and he had to go get help over himself and um, i just found there wasn't someone putting a hand out when there should have been
0: yeah
1: and to be fair to emmet he's he is the help now for a lot of people like he's put his hand out and like you're doing great work and talking talking openly about your battles with drink mm. but especially gambling as well like i believe a lot of young lads are coming to you with a you
0: know, it's yeah, and like and that's
3: hidden gambling. Hidden, yeah, gambling's hidden. Also, like I'm a little bit older. If I was twenty-one, twenty-two, twenty-three, it could have been a lot worse for me. But being that little bit older, certainly did help for me. But yeah, gambling is an addiction that's taken over Ireland, and it's hidden. You're on your phone. No one knows you're gambling. If you're drinking, at least people can see it. If you're doing drugs, people can see it. But I could be on my phone outside before I
0: came in here, I could have gone in two hundred euro. No one would have never known but me. Yeah, yeah. Just in terms of the, uh, uh, you're talking about the support there, Kevin, That uh, the coaches, like the, the unsung heroes of, mm. of, of Irish boxing and, and what they're doing to, I mean, the meta champions, like I'm just reeling them off the earlier on, like Amy Broadhurst, Lisa work uh, Kelly Harrington. But the pro game here, that was, that's obviously the amateur game, but the pro game has been under a cloud since the Regency Hotel shooting in 2016 and the association Daniel Kinnan's had with professional boxing, MTK Global now has ceased operations. But how does the pro sport clean up its image following the extremely damaging uh, links with Daniel Kennan?
1: I think it just needs. I think it needs to just keep kind of almost like love bombing with by creating good fights, trying to cre- kind of trying to create clean cut stars with no no association, I suppose, with the previous MTK. Like I'm sitting beside one here, and there's Jason on the line as well. He's having a home show at the uh, on April first. Then a week later in Waterford, there's another one. In, there's uh, Dylan Dylan Moore as well boxing on there, and there's there's young prospects kind of sprouting up between Galway and Cork and Limerick. None of them really have an association with the old MTK regime, and I think as time passes on, and uh, and like you saw last year, you know, like Eric Donovan was probably the breakout star of 2022. He, he retired on such a high. I think as time passes on, that's just gonna, you know, that might melt away into the past. But then again, like there are still boxers who were aligned with MTK who are active, who are under new management, under new uh, promotions, and you know, there ha- maybe there's an amnesty for those, <laughs> not an amnesty or whatever. There is definitely a reluctance on the part of some sports journalists to kind of cover their fights. And it does feel like some of them go a little bit under the radar. There could be world title fights and they're not really being spoken about. And, you know, I can, I can understand that too. Um, boxing to, to the general public, does it have, it, it might have an Im- image problem. It probably does. Like, I mean, it's not often, uh, at a GAA, uh, raffle is someone murdered. You know what I mean? Or it's not, it's not often that someone's life is taken at any sporting event it happens by accident sometimes, but never on purpose. Uh, so that happened in boxing. That's something that boxing has to deal with. Um, I wasn't there that day myself, uh, luckily enough, but I know I know another journalist. But you
0: would have gone to these things as a would you gone to these weigh-ins and
1: Oh yeah, often enough, yeah. yeah. I was at the press conference the previous day talking to a few of the boxers and uh I remember doing yeah, I remember doing a couple of interviews with there was a headliner, guy from a, an Irish traveler a kind of guy from, from London, called Gary Corcoran, he was on the headliners, had a great chat with him about growing up but with all his brothers and sisters and yeah, had an interesting story. And uh, yeah, and then the next day, some somebody was murdered at the uh, press conference, and a journalist had a a mish like a AK forty seven or whatever, pointed at his face. Uh, he was hiding, you know, crying for his life, you know, hoping, hoping to survive. So, um, it, no, no other sport has had that. So, it's uh, it's something that boxing has to reconcile itself with. But I think at the same time. When you ask the average person in the street in Ireland, what do you think of when you think of Irish boxing? I think mo- more of them think about positive things, such as Katie Taylor, Kelly Harrington, Olympic gold, than maybe the negative. But it, the, the association is there, but at the same time, boxing has no other option. It's not going to stop, like I said when I was talking to you a few minutes ago. Uh, the talent just keeps coming, and the, uh, the new boxers and the new faces and the new names keep emerging. And they can't be held back, I don't think, like, uh, by the associations with the past.
0: Does Katie Taylor deserve a homecoming of a Croke Park level in your view, Emmett? Yeah, of course. Like She's probably the greatest sports
3: person that Ireland have ever had. She hasn't fought in Ireland as a professional. Um, but everything has to be right. You have to know they're going to sell Croke Park out. You can't really bring her home and there's forty or 50,000 people there. The atmosphere isn't as good as what they're expecting. Um, so I actually think it's maybe a blessing in disguise, going to the tree Arena forest, selling that out, and I think that record will sell out in record time. I would imagine an hour or two of them 9,000 tickets will be gone. In an ideal world, she has a great fight with Serrano, gets the win, and then goes for a big Crow Park show in September. Um, I definitely think it's doable to sell Crow Park out, but you need everything to go right. You need to market it perfect. We're only talking earlier. You need to maybe offer discounts to boxing clubs around the country where they're going to bring in probably ten to 20,000 a people. A national celebration of Irish boxing. Obviously. Yeah,
1: there's, there's 355 boxing clubs in Ireland at the minute. Um, a third of those are in Dublin and Antrim. There's 30,000 uh, members of boxing clubs in Ireland and 75% of those are under the age of 18. It needs to... You know how many of those kids will it be looking up to Katie Taylor or looking up to other people who are maybe on the undercard, maybe Jason or Emma, if they're lucky enough to get a spot on that in September. I'm sure both will be interested in taking part in such a thing. Um, but yeah, if they, it would be great to see if they could market it to uh, you know to bring in the boxing community and um, market it to clubs. But we'll see. We'll see if that happens. Yeah, like one thing that Matchroom are good at is
3: they're good at marketing. Mm, they have a absolutely. great marketing team there. So if there's anyone that's going to market that. To the boxing community, I think it would be them. And um, there's also other routes of gone through gay clubs. But um, well, it's definitely doable that they can sell their it own.
1: It's a, like a, it, I would have thought they'd be here before, but I suppose there's difficulties in promoting Irish boxing. We've all obviously talked about the MTK thing a bit. Um, they haven't been back, Matrim haven't been back here since 2014 when they did the three arena for a Matthew Macklin fight. I think the place was half full, maybe five or six thousand in a nine thousand seater. So. It was a great atmosphere and if they couldn't sell that one out it was a world kind of level fight.
0: The onus, who's the onus on to have this fight? Is it on the promoter? Is the Regency Hotel part of the maybe the factor in the security costs or is that an unfair link as it were? Uh, Kevin.
1: Um The Regency Hotel has obviously made you know boxing promotion quite difficult in Ireland but at the same time there's been 18 events held in the south since the Regency. Jason's event is going to make it 19 and then Katie and then Dylan Moore in the following week can make it 20. So there's been quite a lot of activity in the south not as much as most boxing fans would would like there's been three times that much uh, activity in the north as well and from what i can understand from speaking to different promoters it's, it's down to the the cost of sanctioning bodies in ireland and the cost of insurance now has an insurance company ever really come out on record and said why their costs are so high no they don't need to explain they just charge a high fee and that's it you don't really get to question it if you want to pay it you want to pay it so um I suppose the onus is, is on Eddie Hearn like, uh, to you know take, take the cost, take it on. He's a well-off businessman. He's done very well out of promoting Katie Taylor over the years. She's had 22 pro fights. Any Irish boxing fan living here in Dublin or whatever that wanted to travel to all of Katie Taylor's fights, 22 flights out, 22 flights home. So that's, a, that's an awful lot of travel people have had to do to follow Katie Taylor's journey. Um, I, I, don't, I don't think there's any downside really to promoting her at the three arena in May. You're going to sell it out. You're going to do a good event and then uh, go for Crow Park in, in September. I still have a suspicion that Serrano's going to get a elbow injury or something like that.
0: Gabriel Martinelli got that fourth goal uh, for uh, Arsenal, who've won 4-2 at Aston Villa. Dramatic finish there in injury time. Uh, Jason Quigley, I suppose it'll be very exciting to have uh, that walk-in uh, you know, for that game, uh, fight at the Na- National Stadium in April. That's something you must be... I know it's not like it up the high list of your priorities when you actually get in the ring against um, Paulson, but it, you know the the in front of your own crowd, a full stadium, a walk in, and being back, and that's you must be absolutely itching for it.
2: Yeah, it was you know it was fantastic. We had the press conference there, the media press conference um, a couple of weeks back there. So you know it was great just being back in the arena again and. think it was like a couple of months ago last year um i was up at an event in in dublin in the national stadium and i jumped up into the ring and as soon as i got into the ring you know there was just this feeling that came over me it was so long since i was in the ring there and i was like i gotta do a fight here so it is exciting um the place is going to be packed out tickets just went and sale there this morning at 10 a.m and they're flying out the door so absolutely fantastic to see that and this is what we were talking about earlier this is good news boxing do you know what i mean this is good people doing good things for professional boxing in the republic of ireland and that's what's the most important thing there's an underlying um agenda here as well to me coming back uh, Fighting, not just for me to take this off the off the box for myself or take it off a list of a goal of mine that always wanted to headline the stadium as a professional or anything like that there. Boxing has given me so much of my life. I want to walk away from this sport and I want to make it and help put it in a better position than what it was when I first came into it. And professional boxing has struggled in the past, but that's, this is the turning tide of it now. You know, as Kevin was saying, we have myself now in the National Stadium, we have Dylan Moore and then we have Katie Taylor in Ireland again. Like Such a great wave of boxing back in the Republic of Ireland. And as you says in your question there as well, I cannot wait to get into that National Stadium. The place is going to be packed the rafters and uh, put on a brilliant performance and lift the roof off the place. Definitely it's going to be exciting.
0: What's your walk on music, Jason?
2: Sorry? Your walk on music. Actually, been working on it. Um, with Chatendale, a DJ locally here. We're gonna have a nice wee twist on a on a song for my for my walkout entrance. So really looking forward to that one too. It's gonna gonna get the crowd going. That's for sure. J- Jason's a raver, aren't you, Jason? I, I think. I love, I love it. But that's that's the thing. That's why I had to get because I couldn't just go straight rave right away. <laughs> Need to get a wee bit of something else in there and then mix it up.
0: What's your on music gonna be, Emmett? I tell you something by the Dubliners.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> nice, nice lad.
0: Very good, the Dubliners. You wanted to say something about a a young man losing his life? There. Uh,
1: just, just I thought, yeah, we was worth mentioning. Uh, obviously, in um, during the week there was a tragedy in Galway. Just said, I thought we'd mention John Keane, and 16 years old, Christopher Stokes, 19 years old from the Olympic Boxing Club. Obviously, their friend died in the tragedy as well. Wadcheck Panic as well, 17 year old. So, um, Francie Barthold, Boxing Club, and Gabriel Dawson, current European champion, and. Mike Mongan, the coach, gave the eulogy as well and just was talking about the positivity of the lads and the good stories. Just And, uh, yeah, just two more up-and-coming boxers that, like, obviously tragically lost, but worth to mention as well. Like, they're kind of indicative of the talent that are coming up through, through Ireland and, you know, they'll be, they'll be sorely missed.
0: No, oh, no, very sad news and our condolences are with their family and their friends. It's a uh, uh, devastating tragedy. Um there's a campaign to get a statue of Deirdre Gogarty up in, uh, I see that, in, uh, in Drada.
1: That's right, yeah. Uh, they're having a homecoming for Deirdre on May the 19th before Katie Taylor's homecoming fight. Um, so uh, Deirdre, Deirdre Gogarty going to be back over from um, from from Louisiana in America. And, uh, Ireland's
0: first female boxer.
1: Ireland's first female boxer, Ireland's first female world champion. Uh, you know, she fought, the girl on the undercard, she fought on the Mike Tyson bill back in uh, Las Vegas against Christy Martin world famous fight you know put women's boxing on the map katie taylor as a child was writing letters to her kind of saying you're my hero and like Chris uh, deirdre gogarty can trace her first hero back to barry mcguigan she went up to him i think in 1986 and said i'm going to be a world champion like you and barry mcguigan said well you know you've got a fight in your hands but effectively she went and did it she went to last she went to america to make her career and she's going to be joined by some of her old opponents and friends and well wishers and stuff in Drogheda on the the nineteenth. And I guess the idea as well is if people are in town for the Katie Taylor fight that they'll go up and you know because the zone I'm sure will bring in some high profile female boxers. Christy Martin is hoping to come over for it, so it could be it could be a great night up in Drogheda. Yeah, looking forward to that one.
0: Kevin Byrne from the Irish Sun, Emma Brennan, thank you so much. The best luck on your journey now as a pro. Emmett, Appreciate it. In London, I'll be talking to you again. And Jason Quigley all of our cheers and our hopes and uh, well wishes are with you for the uh, fight on, on April the 1st at National Stadium and uh, as you said tickets are now on sale
2: Tickets on sale this morning there general sale happens so get on them see you all there looking forward to it and uh, as I said earlier going to lift the roof off a stadium let's do it lads Have
0: you subscribed to the OTB Football Podcast?
1: Probably for a little over a year it's been my intention and my desire to play, play for Ireland
0: Subscribe now to the OTB Football podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB Sports app.